Father, this morning, we just come to you. We just come to you. We just bless your holy name. We just come to you. Because of your faithfulness, because of your goodness, your mercy towards us. You've been good to us all these years. You've kept us, protected us, preserved us, provided for us, brought us through. The trials, the testings, the storms. We do not fear storms anymore because we know that you are in the boat with us. We are not alone. Another year is around the corner. You brought us through 16. You, we know by faith you will take us through 17 too. We are not putting our trust in anything that is of us. We are putting all our trust in you. The author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Even this morning as we hear your word, I pray let faith arise in each one of us. Faith arise. Faith grow in us. Faith grow that by faith we may grab hold of the promises of God and fulfill his purpose in our lives. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. We bless your holy name, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Hebrews 11 and verses 1 to 3. Now we also know, right? This word. Focus on this word, okay? That's the key to life. Walking with God. That's the key. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds are framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Okay, The first three verses. The most important chapter on faith. Okay, for those who are new, relatively young in the Lord, understand when we use the term faith, we don't use the term faith in terms of religion. Okay, we term in terms of a relationship with God. Okay, and young men, young men, bring your Bibles to church, not your apps. Okay, because I wouldn't know you're reading a Bible or playing a game. Okay, always. Okay, I know it's a Bible now, but use this habit. This absolute shutdown, this never does. Always get to the use of this, this, this. Okay, not this. This is for time. Okay. Always use the written word. Written word. Always carry your Bible with you. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing from the word of God. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing from the word of God. Scripture says, by faith, we understand. Not from science. By faith. Science will teach you something completely opposite. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed, formed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not, were not made of things which are visible. 
What does it mean? What do that words mean? It means everything we see or we do not see, everything was made by or through the word of God. Even the things that are seen are made by things which are not, which are not visible. Now let me ask you, when I am speaking to you, you can hear my word, but can you see my word? That's what it means. Everything that you see was framed by something that is not visible, that is the word of God. God's words. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, scripture says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. If you go to the parallel in the New Covenant book, the New Testament, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, you will see, Richie, I want you to be fast, okay? Of course, we hang on, yeah. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. And the other side, we heard, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He was in the beginning with God. Okay, now the Word is personified into the person of Jesus Christ. And verse 3 says, All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. So we see now, go back to Genesis, we will see how did God make everything that was seen or unseen. In verse chapter 1, verse 3, it says, God said. Verse 6, God said. Verse 9, God said. Verse 11, God said. Verse 14, God said. The next one. Verse 20, God said. And verse 24, God said. Everything that is created, seen or unseen, was created with words. Everything was created with words. Psalm 33 and verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Okay? We will look at this at another day, but this is talking about the Holy Spirit. This is talking about Jesus. Everything God created, he created through the Son, through the Spirit. Your breath is Ruah, which is the Holy Spirit, and this is Jesus who is Logos. The word of the Lord, heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. When you come to verse 9, scripture says, For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Everything is created by the word. Everything was created, and is created by God, by the word. Understand that. Everything you and I see and experience is also created primarily by the word. Let me ask you this question. How was Noah's ark made? 
Just an example, and you can connect it with everything else. First of all, the wood for the ark was originally created by the words spoken by God. The building instructions were given to Noah by God in words. And when Noah built, he put the words together into action and an ark came out of it. Everything is possible only because of words. Where there is no words, there is no meaning. Where there is no meaning, nothing is created. Everything is by words. Remember the rebellion against God after the flood? In Genesis 11.1, scripture says, Genesis 11 and verse 1, the whole earth had one language and one speech. That was the problem. It is good if it is directed in the right way. But if it is not, it is very dangerous. And verse 3, then they said, how did it begin? With words. Everything begins with words. Nothing begins with action. Everything. Because you cannot have an action before you have words. Because it's words that give meaning to their action. Even to act. They said to one another. They said, come let us build. They said. Verse 6. And the Lord said. God also spoke. God said. And what did God do in verse 7? Come, let us go down, confuse the language. Let's confuse their words. They can't build anything. If they cannot speak to each other, they will build nothing. Without words, you can do nothing. So their entire endeavor failed because they could not communicate with each other. Their words failed to convey Meaning, understand when God uses the term word, 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 what does he mean? Why it's so important. We come back to Romans 12 and verse 1 and 2, which we had dealt with last week. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We leave this aside, we look now. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Why does he say two things there? First he says, don't be conformed to the world. Why does he say that? Because the world has thinking patterns. It has ideologies. It has philosophies. Everything, everybody in the world believes in something. There is nobody in the world who doesn't believe in anything. Because even to believe in nothing, you need to be able to have words. To be able to say, I believe in nothing. So everybody believes in something. The God says, our minds are full of words. All composed of words, our thinking, even now when you are listening, if you don't have words, you don't understand. Each one of you understands me according to the ability of the language of English you have. If you have more words, you understand better. You have less words, you understand less. But you have the Ruwa, the spirit, along with the word, you perceive even more. 
That is why scripture says the anointing will teach you all things meaning the superficial meaning of the words what God is speaking it is the anointing that teaches. That will be lost if the spirit is missing. You will understand with your intellect. Okay. So everybody thinks in the world their thoughts become their words. Their words become their action. And that's what everybody ends up being. God says, be renewed or made new in our minds. Once you are born again, he says, be renewed in your minds. It's a battle. Because we did not come with an empty mind. We came with a mind that was full of different patterns of thinking. It's a battle, daily battle, a real battle. And Bible talks about it, it has a real battle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 4 and 5, it says the weapons of a warfare are not carnal. It is called a warfare. We never thought, which is true, it's a battle in your mind. That's why you get hurt because of words. You get offended because of words. You get depressed because of words. You get discouraged because of words. You get encouraged because of words. What are, these are all battle wounds. It's a battle that is going on over here. It's a, like a physical battle. In a physical battle you get bruises and wounds and broken bones and all that. In the same way words have the capacity to create all that in the inner person. So it's a battle. But they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments. Even now when you are hearing, you hear there are arguments rising. Arguments rising. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God comes only through the word of God. So every thought, imagination that opposes itself against the knowledge of God. Like when I was sharing that testimony how God will always come through, some of your mind will, okay, it comes through for you, it doesn't come through for me. You have to pull it down. Because God is not a respecter of persons. And say no. That's not true because scripture says God doesn't have any favorites. Anyone who believes, God will reward him or her. Right? God is not a respecter person. You have to pull it down. Bringing every thought into captivity. Every thought has to be brought to the captivity, to the obedience of Christ. Who is Christ? The word of God. Every thought has to match ultimately with the word of God. If it doesn't, reject it. Because it's not true. It is not true. That is this daily battle. This is possible only if we choose daily. First, to meditate on the word of God. That's where the meditating on the word of God comes. That's why we tell people, keep on reading, meditating the word of God. And then, consciously reject those thoughts. Three, replace those thoughts with the thoughts that align with the word of God. You have to always do that third part. One and two is not enough. People meditate upon the word of God. People reject negative thoughts, but they don't replace it with thoughts that align with the word of God. What do you do? You leave your house empty. Empty houses are dangerous. Very dangerous. Empty houses are very dangerous because the fellow who went out comes back with seven others worse than the first one. 
replace always we replace carnal worldly thoughts with godly thoughts Romans Romans 8 6 and 7 to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is an enmity <coughs> against god for it is not subject to the law of god nor indeed can be that worldly mind is an enmity with god what does it mean it fights god no it fights the word of god it doesn't fight god how do you and i know god if the word of god is in there how did first time man know about god because god said and then god word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have the word now the carnal mind is against god come to us as the word of god it is not subject to the law of god which is the word of god nor indeed it can be it will not it is an enmity it is death how is it death because we will only speak death when we are carnally minded carnally don't take it in a very badly negative sense but worldly minded okay when we think about carnally minded worldly minded we think about spending habits and immoral no to think like the world is carnally minded when we are carnally minded we speak illness we don't speak about healing when we are carnally minded we always speak lack and poverty and not trust in god philippians 4:19 i didn't give it there but philippians 4:19 if i am right says what does it say my god shall supply now you you don't need to have the money in your pocket but how does your mind operate is it in faith or is it in sight how does your mind operate Scripture says my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That is faith. And faith has to be uttered. 1 Corinthians 2:16 says if you are born of God you are a child of God. Scripture says for who has known the mind of the Lord that he might instruct him. But we have the we have the mind of christ scripture says you already have in seed form inside you have the mind of christ in philippians 2 and verse 5 scripture again says let this mind be in you which was also in christ jesus positionally now it says let it work out functionally have the mind of christ it is the like the mind of a baby when a baby is born it has a mind but it has no thoughts because it has no words it can only react to stimulus it is hungry it reacts it's wet it reacts it doesn't think because it doesn't have words but the job of the parents is to put thoughts through words put words put words and then it starts slowly it start uttering and starts making sense and sometimes a baby can speak five words we don't understand anything but the father or the mother does why because they put that words in language in the same way remember the born again spirit in you the child in you has to be filled with words and thoughts that's where the word of god comes 
And that's the reason we gather in church. That's the reason the ministry of the word is so long so that our minds can be renewed constantly. There is a breaking down of those carnal thoughts and ideologies and philosophies and all those isms and replacing it with the word of God faith. You are not, I'm not saying you are, you should be in denial of your present reality. No. No. That's a fact. If you are feeling feverish, that's a fact. But you are proclaiming the truth that the word of God is above your reality. My reality is sight. But truth is above that reality. Scripture says in Psalm 138 and verse 2, I will worship toward your holy temple, praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnify your word above all your name. We heard in the morning during worship about his name, during prayer about his name. But scripture says, people use the name of Jesus, but after that contradict the word. Contradict the word in their conversation, even in their prayer. Even in their prayer, they contradict the word. When finally Jesus comes at the end of the millennium to destroy, when he comes for the, for the, the destruction of the armies of Armageddon, you will see in Revelation 19, he is coming for the final judgment. And verse 13 says, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. Even at the end, <coughs> what is his name as, shown as? As the word of God. This word, Jesus' noun for us, is primarily written or spoken. The word. Let me tell you this. That's why this is precious. This is precious. This is God's word. This we accept as truth and the only truth. And we say, Lord, help me to receive this. And to reject everything else that contradicts this. And you are set for life. Not only here, on the other side too. Has God said no to you? When you pray. I am talking about prayer. Has God said no to you? If he hasn't said no, then continue believing. And continue asking. And continue praying. Jesus asked three times. God said no. Third time he didn't ask. After that he stopped. And the angelic ministry came. He was strengthened. Paul also asked three times. God said no. So even if God says no once, twice, you can ask up to three times. Because we have scripture to back up. Why did I say that? I'm just giving you an example. Why did I say that you can ask up to three times even if God says no? Because Jesus asked, Paul asked, and the mouth of two witnesses, I established it. See where scripture says, God always speaks. God always speaks. Either he says, yes. Or he says, wait. Or he says, no. For all three, what should be our response? Our response is, Receive his word with joy. If he says yes, respond with 
and hallelujah. If you say wait, don't respond with impatience. Say hallelujah. If he says no, don't rep- respond with depression. You say hallelujah. Why? Because all his words are life. And we should receive yes and no in the same attitude because we have the mind of Christ. That's the mind of Christ. God's no did not stop Jesus from going to the cross and finishing his task cheerfully. God's no did not stop Paul serving God till the end of his life and dying as a martyr with that infirmity he carried. God's no, remember David, seven days on his his face, fasting, praying. God said no. The child died. What did he do? Depressed, he arose, washed, anointed, went to the temple, worshipped, came back and ate. Why? Your no is as good as a yes to me. Why? Because I have the mind of Christ. That's why the mind has to be renewed. How does it renew? Because you and I have to learn to meditate upon the word of God so that we start thinking the way God thinks. In Psalm 1 verse 2 and 3, that is what it means. His delight, not that he reads his Bible. We read our Bible prefunctionally like an exercise in the morning. We read, then evening we read. And we we have our, like now we have our, the old days they used to call it the vanity mirror. No, they carry another. That is vanity mirror. When people carry it, the scripture says in the Bible, in the book of James, that this is the mirror. But this is a vanity mirror for many people. They open it and read Psalm 23. I feel so good. The Lord is my shepherd. So good. I look so good. He's carrying me. Then they read one portion from the New Testament. Any hard portion, they close it. It doesn't work like that. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Why? What is the key? The key is this. is the word of God. He's meditating upon the word of God. The word of God has become his mind has become his thought pattern and has become his word life and has become his actions. So either we can live in the reality your mind creates or through the thought patterns of the world you can live like that and die like that or live in the reality of the thoughts the word of God creates and live in it. Both are real. I'm not saying denying only one is real. Both are real. If the carnal mind is also real, those thoughts are also real, that life is also real, the death at the end of it is also real. On this side, the renewed mind is also real, the thoughts are also real, the words are also real, the actions are also real, life at the end of it is also real. 
We are not denying reality. Both are eternal. One eternity with God. One eternity without God. Both are eternal. That's why Psalm 20, Proverbs 23 and verse 7 says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Ultimately you will become the way you think. Okay? Get this. That's why scripture says, the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to the pattern of the world because the world and its desires are passing away. The world is reserved for judgment. One day all these elements will be burned up with fire. But he who does the will of God lives forever. It's the mind. Thoughts that ultimately leads to words. That's why in Joshua chapter 1 and words 8, look at the order. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. You may observe to do according to all that is written in it. First, meditate upon my word. word, word. Two, when you speak, learn to order your conversation according to the word of God. Three, when you act, act According to the thought and the words we have spoken. God says, prosperity, success, guaranteed. You have aligned everything. What have you aligned? You have aligned the word of God, your thought, your word and your actions in one line with God. God says, you cannot fail. It's impossible to fail because God never fails. Doesn't. It's a process. Nothing happens in one day. It's a process. Continuous process. And the one man who walked like that was Jesus. Jesus never failed. Never failed. God, his father, his thoughts, his words, his actions were in one straight line. Absolute straight line. So he could never fail. That's what God is talking about. God knows we live in this world. He knows we live in this world. And Jesus also came and lived in this world to show us you can live in this world but you can live that otherworldly life and not fail. He says you can do it. If I can do it, you can do it because I will live in you and through you. That's why he did what he did with his disciples in John 17 verses 16 to 18 scripture says, John gospel according to John 17 they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. First thing he tells about his disciples, not followers, disciples is this. They are not of the world, just like I am not of the world. Do you believe that? No. Really? Really? Surely? He says, just like Jesus is not of the world, we are also not of this world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is the truth. Set them apart. Purify them. Make them holy with your word. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by your thought. Let their thought patterns be continuously separate them from this world. Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. And then, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. He says, I have not told them to be in the monastery and live like a sadhu. No. I'm sending them back into the world like you sent me in the world because they have been sanctified by the word and the world will have no effect on them. They will overcome the world. 
they can overcome the world as. So he taught them for three and a half years. Think, speak, act. Think, speak, act. Think, speak, act. Whenever they asked him, he said, no, I have not come to do my will. I have come to do my father's will. I will not speak one word which my father hasn't told me to speak. I will not do one thing which I haven't seen my father do. He was aligning himself to his father. Then he comes and tells us, now you align yourself with me. That's how it works. How you live in the world. How you daily resist the world, live in the world, resist the world and overcome the world. In James 1.19, now listen carefully here, okay? So then my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. He says slow to speak. Why? Quick to hear, because don't speak too fast. Because we have to learn to listen what we are hearing and discern it through the prism of God's word. Usually we respond even if we have heard half of it because we are not thinking through God's word. That's why God says, listen carefully. Listen carefully. Don't respond because your response may be wrong. Your response may be wrong. You have to respond, but you don't have to respond always, but you have to listen carefully. You have to listen carefully. Slow to speak. Slow to wrath. This is action. Are you getting it? He says, wait. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. Be careful what you say. Why is he saying? Now we are coming to the crooks of the message. Why is he saying? He is saying, be careful what you say because our words have enormous power to make us or destroy us. In all of God's creation and outside creation, there are only three beings with the power of the word, the spoken word or language. One is God, the second is angels, and the third is man. Others don't talk. So angels used their words and fell. Man used their words and fell. And keep falling. God uses words and bills. The others, a lion cannot fall. A dog cannot fall. A bird doesn't fall. These three beings only have language, have word. Even the fact that you are sitting here in the church has saved children of God is because you spoke. Romans 10.10 says, Even your salvation was the result of you hearing, believing and speaking. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Why are you saved? Because you spoke it into being. Why? Because you are created exactly in the image of God. He created the visible in the invisible words. He said in the same way you have created your salvation because you believed me and you spoke it out. You spoke it out. Even the salvation is because we spoke. We believed what God said and we repeated that I believe what you say and therefore we are born again. We believe first and we speak with our mouth. Words have power. The very power of the creator. Therefore consider the importance 
of our words. In Psalm 141 and verse 3, scripture says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. The psalm is understood. The psalm is understood, which we haven't understood, that everything that we are going through, 99.99% is because what we have thought and spoken is what we are. The psalmist understood it. And he said, O oh Lord, set a guard, O oh Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Today, prayer. As we grow, we have to learn. We have to learn. There are a lot of things which we in the seasons of ignorance, God says, I, I overlook. But now that you know, he says, pray these prayers. Pray these prayers like the past two weeks back, I told you, simple prayer every day. Even you cannot remember anything, pray that thing. Lord, lead me not in temptation, deliver me from evil. Every day. A very powerful prayer. A very simple, very powerful prayer. Lord, lead me not into temptation, deliver me from evil. I'm telling you another prayer. Lord, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips because I tend to choose death. So, Lord, please, I need, I need, Lord, I need help, Lord. That's what scripture says in Proverbs 18, verse 20 and 21. 18, 20 and 21. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth, from the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Let's stop at 20 first. Okay. Fruit of his lips he shall be filled. We thought by the fruit of my labor I shall be filled. The fruit of my hand. No, God says the fruit of your lips you shall be filled. And here a man's stomach, the actual version, KJV will use the term belly. A man's belly shall be satisfied by the fruit of his mouth. Let me give you this connection. Okay? The belly, we will look at it another week. Okay? Because your spirit... No? Body, soul, spirit. Spirit is dead until you are born again. Soul and body, everybody has. Okay? The seat of your spirit, Atma, is your belly. Is your belly. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. You go through scripture, you will understand the seat of the spirit is the belly. He says, as a man thinketh, as he speaks, his spirit shall be filled. Okay? This is connected with the Holy Spirit's function. This is connected with the Word's function, Jesus Christ. He says, if you choose Jesus and continue to walk with Jesus and speak according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit will fill you more and more. You will be empowered in the Spirit more and more. They are connected. The spirit hovers over the waters. It is waiting for the word to come forth before light can come. That's how it works. When you come to verse 21, scripture says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Understand how scripture unfolds. That's what Jesus actually said about the belly. We know it in John chapter 7, 37 to 39. He said, right, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
Now what we do? We will sit there somewhere in isolation and say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. He says, how can I fill you with Holy Spirit when you are not thirsty for my word? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. It's a very dangerous, this is one of the biggest heresies or dangers in Pentecostalism that has happened genuinely. Is people got filled with the Spirit without being strong in the Word. So what happens? If you have asked Brother Banu, what happens to a train where the engine is the latest VAP7 electric engine with all the tracks haywire? What will happen to the trains? Only accidents. Pentecostalism is full of accidents. Not because they did not have power. Because their tracks were not laid properly. Mainland churches, they are full of wonderful tracks with no power. Tracks, songs, books, everything wonderful, but no power. That's what God is talking about. Come, thirst for me. My thirst for God is initially primarily reflected in my thirst for His Word. Because this is my first revelation of Him. Not experiences. This is it. Every experience is judged through the Word. Experience can be manipulated. Word cannot. Word, I have it in black and white. It is in my hand. That's why I said like the government. Government will say, card, 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 cashless society by, because they want control. Cash is my control. This is my control. Nobody will tell me, this is what God said. I said, wait a second. Let me see. So Paul can come to Berea and speak the word of God. And scripture says, Paul says, the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they searched the scriptures. I have in my custody. Come to me. Thus, he who believes in me as the scripture has said. You have to believe in Jesus according to the scriptures. Not at the way you please. According to the scriptures. What does the scripture say about Jesus? When he rose from the dead, scripture says he opened the eyes of his disciples that they could understand and showed them from the law and the prophets saying, see, the entire scripture talks about me. It's about me. When we believe in Jesus, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What happens? The fruit of the lips, the thoughts, the minds, the word is bubbling forth. And out of the belly, what will come? Verse 39. What was he talking about? But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The last command given by Jesus even just before ascending there. He was teaching about the kingdom. All kind of questions they had. Last thing he told them is wait. What is the last word of Jesus to his disciples? Wait in Jerusalem until you have received power. You will receive power the Holy Spirit. That's the last thing. Those believing him would receive. How many of them believed in the final words of Jesus? How many of them believed? 120. Did all of them receive? Yeah. Did the others receive? No. Why? Because they don't believe him according to scriptures. You have to believe Jesus according to what he has said, not what man says. What has he said? And that's where the power comes. On the day of Pentecost, 
you will see in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, they have been gathered. He said, wait, like I told the pastors yesterday, they waited, 120 waited in Jerusalem. They had to obey him absolutely. When God tells us something to see God's power move into our lives, we have to keep the word. He said, wait in. They were at Bethany when he left. He told, wait in Jerusalem. What did they do? They went to Jerusalem. They could have waited in Bethany. But are they obeying his word? Are they obeying his word fully? No, Lord, we are in Bethany and we are waiting. He said, I didn't ask you to wait here. I asked you to wait here. What did he tell Elijah? Go to chariot. Turn eastward, go to chariot. There the raven will bring you bread morning and evening. What if he waits in Jericho? Raven is waiting at chariot. Where is God's power and provision? At chariot. And once chariot purpose is over, God says turn and go to Zarephath and I am telling you which woman, which house you go over there. Where is provision? In that house. What if he goes to Bethlehem and looks for poor widows there? Is provision going to come? No. That's why we have to obey according to scripture. Scripture is the word of God. And for that our minds have to change according to the word of God that we are able to hear and discern. This is God speaking. And he's really true. He speaks. On the tenth day, one day, two day, three day, four days, five days, six days, seven days, eight days, nine days, tenth day, the Holy Spirit came. I said it's symbolic. It's practical. Ten is the number of judgment. They judged themselves for ten days. By the time everything is clean, they are one mind, one body of Christ and the Holy Spirit came. When the Holy Spirit came, the first thing he did is, he took control of their tongues. What is the Holy Spirit coming for? So God will have, a, Jesus will have a body on earth which will be his witnesses and fulfill his purpose on earth. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. If Jesus has to fulfill his purpose through his children, it happens only when the Holy Spirit has control over your tongue first. That's the steering wheel. He doesn't want your leg first or your tights first. He wants your tongue first. That's the first thing he takes over. He first harnesses their tongues. Are you getting the picture? Filling with the word and filling with the spirit will have a distinct influence on our tongue. Has to have increasingly. The more the word, the more the spirit, your your tongue has to change. It will change. If you want to know, Lord, show me how I am full of the Holy Spirit, just record yourself and listen. Ask somebody to record. Has your conversation changed over a period of time? Has it? Or are you still talking the same nonsense? Or is your conversation changing? It will show you who has control. In James chapter 1 and verse 26, James says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And God is talking using in terms which everybody understands, church and well, everybody says, you know, I'm very religious. Are you very religious? God says you can understand the religiosity of each person. Just check his or her conversation. Because religion, the true religion of God, the Holy Spirit has control more and more of your tongue. 
till jesus is 30 years old before he steps into ministry 30 years old the son of god the word in flesh who walked among men for 30 years ministry hasn't started do you know about 30 years of his life only two sentences are recorded in the entire bible he spoke for 30 years for us 30 years volumes are written about him in the bible two sentences first is when he's 12 years old luke chapter yeah he said to them why did you seek me did you not know that i must be about my father's business 1 to 12 jesus what did he speak on earth we don't know what is written one verse one sentence is written then at the age of 30 another sentence is written what is it jesus answered and said to him permit to be so now for thus fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness then he allowed him when is he speaking baptism this is scripture two sentences in 30 years after that he is baptized he comes the holy spirit comes and he is only speaking now every word is recorded every word of jesus is recorded before that just two sentences is recorded in scripture itself yet we know about jesus from isaiah 50 and verse 4 the lord has given me the tongue of the learn it how does it come that i should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary he awakens me morning by morning he awakens my ear to hear as the learned and i did not turn as one rebellious what is he talking about he's talking about the holy spirit teaching him the word morning by morning god awakens you and he awakens your ear to hear he's not telling him to memorize torah like all the jewish kids that's what we do we tell our children memorize 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 and then we are very happy when i also did it when our children is 3 years old 4 years old go tell pastors come say psalm 23 psalm 23 10 years later child doesn't go to church why because we did not allow his ear to be opened as the ear of the learned memorizing scripture is good very very good is absolutely perfect all the scribes the levites the priests all of them knew it It's not a bad thing, but I am saying this is the way it should be. Every time you grow in the Lord, every time you open Scripture and you read Scripture, your ear should be able to hear God speak. Should be able to hear. He's saying something. Maybe one line. Maybe one word. He's saying something to you back. Like I said, this is not a dead book. This is a living book. This is the only book that reads you while you are reading it. to hear as the learned and what happens when you are able to hear first as the learned be slow to speak quick to listen when you have learned through the holy spirit to hear as the learned then he will give you the tongue of the learned now we don't want that we want the tongue of the learned immediately god says first learn to hear as the learned 
Learn to hear. Learn to hear from God. Learn to hear the principles of God's kingdom. What is the nature of this God? How does he speak? And you will see he is consistent. He doesn't change whether it is Abraham or David or John or Paul. His consistency, you understand this is what God is like. You learn to hear. Once you have learned to hear as the learned, one day you will learn to speak as the learned. So that two sentences basically is simply over their scripture, Jesus has learned to hear. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. And when the Holy Spirit comes, things are flowing in his life. So that we have the tongue, not of the learned, the tongue, what does the Bible call our tongue? Idle tongue. Or careless tongue. He had the tongue of the learned or the instructed. So you will see this continuously in the Bible. Thoughts, words, actions. And whenever sight determines our thoughts by sight. When scripture talks about sight, my people shall not walk by sight, but by faith. It Sight means what you see and what you hear. That's how we perceive things. We look, we see. I look at somebody, okay. I look at somebody, I see, or I hear somebody speak. That's how we make judgments. We see, we hear. We see, we hear. We see, we hear. Now you may not speak a word at all. Still you are conversing. Some are looking like this, some are looking like this. Your face is speaking words. Some are laughing, some are smiling, some are, you know, communication is much more than speaking. These are all words. Because we know people and we have lived among people and especially if you are married to somebody, you have children, you can look at their expression and their expression is speaking to you. Because you have read their expressions. That's what we say. I can read your expression. That's why I tell you, these are things which we have in a language which we never understood. When I say the spirit is in the belly, what do you say in English? I got a gut feeling. I felt in the pit of my stomach. Where did all this come from? Because the spirit is in the belly. Okay? It's in the belly. These are not accidents in language. These are people who understood these experiences are real and it came into language. So, these are all there. And God says, be watchful. Because how did Jesus do? In Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 3 about Jesus, his delight is in the fear of the Lord. Delight is in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. He will not. What does it mean? It means when Christ walks on earth, he will not walk by sight. He will only walk by faith. Only walk by faith, not by sight. Because sight is there. Our reality is true. I am not denying your reality. If you are feeling weak in your body, it is real. If you have no money in the bank, it is real. If you have no job, it is no real. If you have prayed for 30 years and haven't found a spouse, it is real. If you are a parent waiting and praying and crying for the marriage of your child, it is real. But your reality should not determine your response. Your response should be determined by faith. And faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. The problem is not your reality. Our problem is our response. And our response will show whether it is sight or faith. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 10 to 13, scripture says, Now there was famine in the land. That is, 
reality. Whatever famine you are facing. You are facing lack of wealth, lack of health, lack of whatever. Lack of spouse, that is also a famine. Hmm? Okay, <laughs> okay. Whatever. That is all famine. Okay? Jo- Jacob was the only one who had, uh, what, he was, uh, had famine in spouse. He had plenty in spouse, okay? Okay, J- David and all had, they were, uh, much they had. Okay? So famine is your reality. We are not denying your reality. Whatever you are lacking, whatever you are going through, that is your reality. But, what did he do? He went down to Egypt. He is reacting to his outward reality. And it came to pass when he was close to entering to Egypt. Now he is moving from Shishem or wherever he is. Closer, 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 closer. Going down and down and down. That happens. When your reality starts having more and more power, you are going down in your thought life. Going down, down, down in the ways of the world. When he is very close, what happened? He said, he spoke. It's going in his mind. Going in his mind. I'm going to Egypt. People of Egypt are like this. They always grab beautiful women. What will I do? My wife is beautiful. What will I do? Well, my baby is beautiful. Now what will they do? They will kill me for my wife's sake. He's thinking. Then he spoke it. He's not thinking faith. His reality has taken over. And he said, indeed. But he's very good. He's smart. He's a smart cookie also. So he has to flatter her first. Okay, so he says, indeed, I know you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Okay, as soon as she heard that, Sarah must have breathed. Ah. And then, comes the clincher. Verse 12, shall we go up? Okay, therefore it will happen when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me and they will let you live. No, this is called negative psychology. Basically, first by flattering you, you know, look, you are so good looking, Deepika, you are so good looking. Now, the problem is, we have to go together because you are so good looking, they might kill me. Meaning, they might kill me, it's your fault. You are guilty, you see. I am just a plain looking dude, but you are good looking. But by some chance you happen to be mine. So I could get killed because of you. So I want you to do something. I don't want you to feel guilty and be guilty. I want you to make innocent of my blood. So do one thing. Say that you are my sister. Wow. How wonderful psychology, right? That's why God says the heart is deceitful above all things. Listen to his words. This is all worldly patterns of thinking. There is logic, there is psychology, there is everything in it. And we thought we just learned it in college yesterday. This is already there. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake. And that I may live because of you. He's putting all the pressure on her. You see? It's all words. All words. When things go out of control, famine, whatever it is, God allows famine in the lives of his children so that our faith can be tested. Which way will we think? What will we speak? What will we do? Remember? Samuel, this is the, uh, 1 Samuel 27, 1 and 2. This is David. Saul has been chasing him, chasing him, chasing him, chasing him, chasing him, chasing him. God has protected him, protected him, protected him, protected him. But he's getting weary in the body and in the mind. And then one day, David, what's the first line? Said, in his heart. 
Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. He is giving in to the outside reality as God. In one day, Saul will kill me. I am tired running. One day, he will kill me. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel so I shall escape out of his hands. Then David arose and went over with his 600 men into the Philistine camp. That's how we work out in our mind. That is why scripture says, bring every thought to the captivity of Christ Jesus. This is sight. This is not faith. This doesn't glorify God. This doesn't align with God's word. This doesn't align with the promises which God has given. There is interesting struggle of Job in the Bible. The first book in the Bible, the book of Job. Job chapter 1 and verse 10 says, he's got a protective hedge around him. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. This is from where we get this theological term, that you can have a hedge, a God-laid protective hedge around you. This is physical in the Old Testament, spiritual in the New Testament. Okay? We are not getting into the hedge. You can, meaning, you can live spiritually in a place where nothing the devil does seems to affect you inside. There, it doesn't affect you. Outside, you just keep prospering there in the physical, here you keep prospering in the soul. This is Old Testament, New Testament. And reason is given there. Three times a reason is given. Okay, that's a different message. Three times scripture talks about it. One one says, Job one one. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job and that man was blameless, upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. Four parameters. God says, if you are blameless in my sight, you are upright in my sight, you fear God and you shun evil, I will put a hedge around you where the devil will not be able to break through. And if he does, it's because I gave permission. Three times it is repeated. One has history, two times from the mouth of God itself. Let's look at the next one. One eight, And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, blameless? Upright, one who fears God and shuns evil. And chapter 2. Then God said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on earth. A blameless and upright man. One who fears God and shuns evil. This is the reason you have a hedge around him. He is protected. How did he reach? This place of protection or safety. Because his thoughts... His words and his action lined up with God. God says, I put a protection around you. Nobody will touch you. And then the devil come and ask permission. God says, okay, why is it? The devil also says, big deal. You prosper him, prosper him, prosper him like that. He will also praise you, worship you and all. God says, okay, fine, fine. Go touch you. First test, in one day what happened? He lost all his wealth. His servants except two and all his ten children died. Everybody gone. Listen to his response in chapter 1, 20 to 22. Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground and worshipped. That's the key, not wailed. 
what do we do we will he watch it his yea or his nay our response should be act of worship he said naked i came from my mother's womb naked shall i return there the lord gave the lord has taken away blessed be the name of the lord look at the next verse in all this job did not sin nor charge god with wrong his words were right in all these things he did not sin with his words it is after this the second time satan comes and god says did you see you tried right he still upright he still blameless he still fears god he still shuns evil you took everything from him hasn't made any difference to the man he is still what he is in me so devil said big deal let me touch his body i can get him god says okay don't kill him touch his body we know head to toe listen to now second Two, chapter two. So Satan answered her, "Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face." And God said, "Yeah, verse eight." And he took for himself, yeah, verse seven. Let me read verse seven. Yeah. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. and he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes he didn't open his mouth he sat there like most of us do kept on scratching himself didn't say a word sat there and scratched and then the devil touched the one closest to him to provocate him next verse his wife said to him do you still hold fast to your integrity what is this Is hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah all the time. What is this? Curse God and die. This is the devil's provocation through his wife. The devil uses human instruments to provocate us to step from faith into sight. He said to her, "You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips." words were careful and all this he was still choosing life in the midst of his reality which was death life and death is in the power of the tongue they so choose us life loves it will choose life he did not send with his lips after that comes three friends we are friends three friends <laughs> These friends don't say anything in the beginning. Some friends don't have to speak. Let's say you go to a house of a believer where somebody has died, and two non-believer friends will come. They won't say anything. They come over there. Two minutes later, wah! They start crying. Now this one also starts crying. This is all pumped up in faith. I know where my brother is. He's been with the Lord. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. And this one starts wailing. So they communicate without. words but even that is words see what they do verse 11 onwards when job's three friends heard all this adversity that had come upon him each one came from his own place elifas okay we leave those names they made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him they are talking about so they have already learned the calamity adversity poor fellow they have already thought he's judged he sinned he's done all these things they made an appointment and came when they raised their eyes from afar they did not recognize him they lifted their voices and they wept 
and each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head towards heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights and no one spoke a word to him for they saw that his grief was very great. Nobody spoke. They sat there with ashes. This thing, this thing. Seven days later, this man's faith also broke. And he reverts to sight. Chapter 3, verse 1. After this, Job opened his mouth. What did he do? Curse the day of his birth. From there, the narrative changes all the way. Till then, he did not sin with his lips. Understand, that's the interesting book of Job. He did not sin with his lips. 35 chapters of talk, 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 talk. One is talking, he is talking, friend is talking, he is talking. It's only 35 chapters of non-stop talk. All sight, very little faith. Faith is there coming here and there. And then finally in chapter 38, God speaks. You know what God says in chapter 38? Then God answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel with words without knowledge? So you are all counselors, right? You are all counseling. You got your psychology, physiology, all this degree. Where did you get this from? Your counsel is dark. It's without the knowledge of God or the ways of God. You are darkening counsel by words without true knowledge. That's how sometimes we give counsel. Counsel. People will go to funerals and this thing, memorials, give such a teary message. The fellow who is grieving is even more grieving now. And they feel, I have done my... No, you haven't done my... You haven't seen what death means in the scripture. Your job is not to go and make them miserable. Your job is to go them and exhort them and see things in the light of God's word. You have overcome death. Death has no power over you. This is just a departure. You will meet them on... Yes, grief is there, but it's a grief of parting. It's not a grief of loss. We have hope. The unbeliever has no hope. We have hope. He says, you are darkening your counsel. Because your words have no knowledge. And we have to be careful about what we say. Because our counsel should have the knowledge of God and of his ways, his righteousness and his kingdom. Then what happens? Finally, at the end, Job will respond after many, many years. Hours of talking from God. I don't know how many hours or minutes. In 48... Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. And he says, in verse 3, You asked who is this who hides counsel without knowledge, therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. He's answering the first question now. You know, please, please, forgive me. I just, you know, what do you say? Galti se mistake ho gaya. Please. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Out of my ignorance I said all these things. I did not understand your wonderful and high ways. I did not know your ways were higher than our ways. I am so sorry I spoke out of turn. All this junk. Forgive me. Did you see? The whole is a play of Job. Is, if you want to read about words and lips and how you converse, you read the book of Job. Job was God was upset with Job's three friends. Why? Look at verse 7. 
So it was after Job had spoken this God Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, this three, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right. You spoke, you gave a lot of counsel to your grieving friend, but your counsel was wrong. You did not speak about me. What is right? That's our danger. In our situations, we speak and we believe we are right because we are looking by sight, but we don't realize we have spoken wrong because we have not spoken about God as what is right about Him. That's how we choose life and death. That's why we have to be careful with our words as we grow older in the Lord, become more and more. As we grow older in age, whatever, teenager, whatever. Because in the multitude of words, there is always sin. Problem is, we don't actually speak right about God. We may be talking to a friend and discussing a situation. But in the multitude of words, we don't realize you cannot ever have a discussion about anything where directly or indirectly God is not involved, even if you're talking about the weather. Because he is sovereign over all the affairs of man. Everything has its being in him and through him and by him and is held together by the power of his word. Therefore, when we speak, we speak wrongly about him. It's about him. You may think that my opinion is very right, but God says your opinion contradicts about the person who I am. That's why God says quick to listen, slow to speak. We don't See, I give you a practical example. We may be speaking different things about one situation. Oh my gosh, do you know? Last week I went three days in a row, stood for three hours in the bank, I got no money. Next one says, you went to the bank, I went to the ATM, I stood there till one in the morning. When I reached over there, money was finished. And the one saying, in my bank they gave tokens. Mine was 140. These are all conversations I heard last week, okay? My token was 140. By the time it was 135, money finished. But they're all talking different things. But do you know they're all actually, in essence, talking about Prime Minister Modi? Right? Because he took that decision. Therefore, every conversation we speak is actually talking about him because he takes every decision. Therefore, he says, you counsel, you darken counsel without knowledge. You darken counsel without knowledge because do you think I am incapable? I am not in control? Aren't you my child? Do you think the devil kicked you because I couldn't help it? He says, I am in control. Always. Always in control. So we either speak words that glorifies our God or condemning our God and we don't realize. Yet we have to speak but remember, every word is a judgment on a reality we experience. It can be either sight or it can be either faith. Yes, we can say, yes, there is no money in the bank. Yes, everybody is running around for cash. Yet, my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. Paul is not denying his reality but he is expressing his faith. He says, I believe in my God. I know it doesn't matter what these governments do. It doesn't matter how it, I know my God will come through. And he can come through. 
And what do we say? If God can feed Elijah with ravens, he will send a raven. If God can send a ram in the bush for Abraham, the first time Jehovah Jireh, that's how you pump up your faith. I will have a ram in the bush for me. If God can feed Elijah till the end of the famine through a poor widow with a bowl full of flour and oil, he can feed me through through any hand he chooses. What have you proclaimed now? You have proclaimed the goodness and the glory of God in your present reality. That's what God is talking about. That's what God is talking about. That is what is true. That is what is true. Your illness is true. I'm not saying it is not your reality. But you cannot there when you are, so how are you feeling? Oh no, doctor's x-ray report, no, pathology report and radiation report. No, I don't want to know your report. I just want to know, do you believe? Did he say it is over? Did he say it's over? It's not over. He didn't say it, right? Then still believe. If he said it's over, then put your house in order, get ready to go. But if he hasn't said it is over, then what do you believe? I am the Lord that healeth thee. Psalm 107 verse 20, I sent forth my word and healed you of your diseases. Psalm 103 verse 6, I am the God that heals all your diseases. And you read Malachi 4, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing under his wings and you shall go out like calves fed in these stalls. Lord, I see something else over there. Let me seek your righteousness even more in the midst of my sickness because when your righteousness rises over my life, I also understand healing also comes with it. I will seek your righteousness, not healing because when I seek righteousness, healing flows into my life. That's how you exercise faith. That's how you glorify God. Not speaking your present reality. Where you glorify your reality and you have stepped into sight. You step into faith. Children, oh I am very poor in maths. It's your reality. It is true. Now work hard and believe. Lord, your word says I have the mind of Christ. And I understand you framed maths. Maths was in your brain. Not mine. And if I have the mind of Christ, I am trusting you and I am believing you. And I will do my part. But you will give me wisdom. You will give me understanding. You will give me perception. You will give me the strength to work hard. And I know, Lord, I will not fail. That's how this man became a preacher. Because he didn't know this word from anywhere. He never went to Bible college. Finished preaching last night. Woke up at 2.30 in the morning. Had no clue what I was preaching this morning. The first thing I said is that, I know, Lord, you are faithful. You are faithful. I don't have to depend upon my strength for this. You will give me something today, Lord. This morning, give me, Lord. I know you'll come through. And he came through. By seven, I was ready. Do you believe? It's not your strength. It is him. It is him. That is how God is glorified. We don't glorify man. We don't glorify flesh. We don't glorify the world. We glorify God. That's why scripture says it is impossible to please God without faith. You want to please God, you need faith. Faith is believing and trusting what God has said and you glorify God. That's where Job chapter 1, chapter 2, he was fine. Chapter 3, verse 1, he went down. That's all the devil was looking for. To get you to open your mouth. And take away. That's why scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 15. He who is spiritual. 
judges all things. He's spiritual, right? He's looking at his reality. He's looking at this. He's looking. He's looking. And he says, "You know what? That's true." But that is there is that's a fact. But there is a truth higher than that. The truth is here. Truth is here. Truth is here. That's why I told the pastors yesterday. When I go to the optimistries, last year and all, when I went to the optimistry, the glasses, 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 I said, told him, you one thing. He was, I said, look, if I can read this, then I am fine. Don't give me that DC and times and all. I don't want that print. I want this print. If I can read with these glasses this print, then my sight is fine. That's all I am looking for. I am not looking for sight to watch TV. I am looking for sight to read this. And this one particularly, not big print, this one. Because this has been with me for 22 years. Big print you can buy. You may think these are small statements. These are big statements before God. Big statements before God. Because you are voicing your faith in the living God. Your voicing say, Lord, it is about you, it's not about me. That's why to make right judgments, we need to meditate upon the word and allow the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. Because as we grow in the Lord, God demands maturity or perfection, which is not a word we like. Perfection. Because when God is perfect, when God created Adam, he was perfect. And through Christ, God is perfecting saints. That is the purpose of the ministry. In Colossians 1.28, Paul says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Every man perfect in? Christ to to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, we preach psychology. We preach economics. We preach mathematics. No. Whom do we preach? Him we preach. Whom do we preach? We don't preach theology. We preach Christ. Him we preach. We preach the person of Jesus Christ. Him we preach. Colossians 1.28 Is that what we read? Matthew 5 and verse 48 Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. At every spiritual age, God demands that maturity. He says, be perfect according to your age. But like I said, the steering wheel of your life is your, what is it? Your tongue, yeah, Sepsi was stuck out her big tongue. Okay, yes, that's your tongue. Okay, it's a tongue. But remember, there is a gap between thought and word. Once the word is spoken, it is out of your hands. It's out of your hands. Once this message is over, you ask Pastor Vijay, he will explain to you about robotics. And he will tell you certain things which I can't explain. One thing I will explain to you in terms of light. Every image you see is captured. It's light, basically. It never goes. Light travels at that speed. And it is, if it's one year away, it is called a light year. 
Go back 2000 light years. I'll tell you a scientific or simple principle. Go back if you can fly faster than light, are able to go 2000 light years away, which is a physical distance, and look through a telescope and be able to see what you see is Jesus in Nazareth. It's a present reality for you if you are there. Because nothing is erased. In the same way when you speak, your words generate kinetic energy and from the theory of dynamics, no word is lost. Nothing is lost. That is why God says, by your words you shall be acquitted or by your words you will be condemned. Nothing is lost. No image is lost. No words are lost. It can be forgiven, but it is not lost. Therefore, your tongue is the steering wheel. And God says perfection is not an ambition. It is It is not an option. It should be your goal. So in James chapter 3, verse 2, God says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man. God says, I want you to move you to perfection, but let's see. Work on your tongue. Work on your words. Work on what you say. Work on what you say. He says that is the first step towards. Don't react emotionally. Don't react to your situations. Don't react to all these outside things. Learn slowly to react. Step one, meditate. To react properly with proper words, we have to meditate. In the mind, primarily. In the church for the teaching of the word. That's why we preach Christ. We don't preach man's opinions. We preach Christ. We meditate upon Christ. We meditate upon Christ. And then when you cannot meditate upon Christ, Philippians 4, 8 says, Do all things without complaining and disputing. Oh, Lord, why? Why Why did you say this? Why? Because meditating on the word will determine your attitude. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Philippians 2.14 Yeah. Do all things without complaining and disputing. What is the reason? God dislikes murmurers and complainers. We were all complainers and murmurers. We still murmur. But God dislikes. Let me tell you. Psalm 106, 24 to 20. Because these are all words. Okay, Murmuring is words. Complaining is words. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his word. That's where it begins. When we don't believe his word, we despise the pleasant land. It doesn't matter how look it good, looks it good. It looks good only because we are seeing it through the prism of his word. The life of Jesus is the best life ever. I have come to give you life, life in abundance. But to enjoy and appreciate that life, you have to look through the word. But if you despise the word, and if you don't believe that word, you will start despising that life. It's just so boring, so boring. If we come to church late, pastor will scold. If you fall asleep at the word, pastor will scold. He will ask you where you are. Why are you despising? Why doesn't that life look so pleasant? It's because we don't believe his word. They complained in their tents. 
and did not heed the voice of the Lord. And verse 26. Therefore he raised his hand. No, 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 no. Therefore he raised his hand in an oath against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their dissonance among the nations and to scatter them in the lands. We look at Israel's dispersion into Babylonian captivity. You know where it all started? With their tongue. It didn't start with their actions. It started with their thoughts, to their words, then to their actions. So God says, be careful, be careful, be careful. Why do we... Why do Christians murmur? Why did they murmur? They murmured because they missed Egypt. Why do Christians murmur? Because we miss the world. As simple as that. Or, now that we are saved, we cannot enjoy the world anymore without guilt. We don't want to fight, really fight, labor for the life that Christ promised. We see that as too much trouble. They'll say, yeah, yeah, the land is good, but we are grasshoppers and there are giants and that too much. Please, pastor, you preach and go. It's too much for me. So we murmur and complain. You know what? The same parallel in the new covenant in 1 Corinthians 10.10. He's talking about the history there. Nor complain has some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. He's giving a list of Israel's lack of faith. And he says, you know what? So many in Israel were destroyed. What did they do? They complained. And they were destroyed by the destroyer. We think in Malachi chapter 3, 10, 11, Ardhan, the place where destroyer is used, it says, bring all your tithes in the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out all that, okay? And I will rebuke the devourer, the destroyer for your sake. So one of the reasons people don't prosper is because they don't they don't give God what belongs to God. There are people who are faithful in their tithes, but they complain all the time. And still the destroyer is eating away everything. So why Lord, I am so faithful, Lord, I have been giving more than... You are still complaining. You still? God says no. He says, no, grow child, grow. He says, remember the new man has the mind of Christ. Learn, put on Christ, put on Christ. What does First Thessalonians 5.18 say? In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ. But pastor, this is the will of God for you. What are you going through? I'm going through. Let, let us thank God. Let us thank God. God says, that's my way. This is the will of God for you. Not complaining, but thanking God. <coughs> First Corinthians chapter 11, 23 and 24. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. The same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. What did he say? Give. It's so easy for us, no? Every first Sunday pastor takes it and he gives thanks and he breaks. What is he doing? He's actually breaking his body. Tomorrow his body will be in pieces. His back will be broken. Hands and legs will be pre-pierced. His side will be pierced. He will die a painful, violent death. And what is he doing for that? Giving God? Why? Because in all things give thanks. This is the will of God for you. This is the will of God for you. That's what scripture means. To give thanks. He did. 
he practiced his word, his thought, his actions was one line with the will of God. That's why he says in the book of Hebrews, so sacrifices and offerings you did not desire. A body you prepared for me. Behold, O Lord, I have come to do your will. This is a Christmas message. Tough, but Christmas message. That's what it means in Romans 5.3. Not only that, we also glory in... How do we glory in tribulations? By giving thanks. James 1.2 My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How do you do it? By giving Practical examples are there. Theory and practical both are there in the Bible. Acts chapter 16, my favorite portion in book of Acts. At the midnight hour, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. Hymns. Legs locked up, midnight hour, thrown in prison, back broken. What are they doing? Giving? Thanks. Glorifying God. What is God's response? Suddenly there was an earthquake and the foundations of the city and every chain was broken loose. Why? They are aligning everything with the will of God. They were not murmuring. They were not complaining. They were glorifying God in the prison. So let's turn back. Another year is coming. Two weeks, three weeks, another year. Steadily, steadily. Like I said, you all have power steering. I still use old manual steering. Slowly. This power steering people just turn 180 and go back to the world. Okay? We don't need power steering. Slowly. Okay? Slowly. Change the course of your lives. God created us in His image. And He said, I set before you life and death. Choose life. Life and death. We choose life. With our words, what will God do? Isaiah 57 verse 19. I create the fruit of the lips. You thought you created the fruit of the lips. No, you can only speak. You can, you and I can only speak. But what you speak, I create the fruit. If you speak according to my heart, according to true knowledge, according to my will, I create the fruit of the lips. It doesn't matter whether you are far or near. Peace, peace to him, says the Lord. You will have peace in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your tribulations. If you learn to glorify me and my name, I will create the fruit of your lips. That is the gospel. So scripture says our response Scripture says in the book of Isaiah, in the year Uzziah died, Isaiah saw a vision. He saw true knowledge of God. My God, my God is holy. What is his immediate response? When he sees God is holy, he says in Isaiah 6, he said, woe to me for I am undone because I am a man of... Why did he say that? When he saw the holiness of God, what came into his remembrance were all the words he has spoken, which did not glorify God. He says, I am undone. I am undone. Oh Lord, I am undone. What have I been speaking all? This is a prophet speaking. This is a prophet speaking when he saw, Oh Lord, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I haven't glorified you with my words. My words never glorified you. I was reacting according to my flesh. I have not brought glory. God's response, 
verse 6 and 7. What does it say? Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. What does God do? Cleanses his tongue with fire. And then he asks, Who will go and speak for me? What does Isaiah say? I will go. Which chapter is this? Do you know what Isaiah says in chapter 7? The virgin shall bear a son. His lip is cleansed. The first revelation that comes out of his lips is the coming of the Messiah who will cleanse every lip. That's what God is talking about. And we need that today. That's why when the Holy Spirit came 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost, he came as flaming tongues. Because he knew all these 120, their tongues need to be cleaned before they could speak the word of God with power. Once the tongues were cleaned, as one body they stood, Peter stepped forward and he spoke. And they all spoke in different tongues. And people were rent to the heart. Because now they were glorifying, magnifying God. So let us turn back to God. This Sunday. Two more verses and we stop. Hosea 14 and verse 2. Take words with you. Don't go to God empty. We know like Isaiah we are all guilty. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Take all your past words with you. Take it with you and return to the Lord and say, take away my iniquity, O Lord. I am a man. I am a woman. I am a child of unclean lips. I have spoken against you. I have not brought glory to your name by the words I have spoken. I have spoken against you. Take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously, Lord, for we will offer the sacrifice of our lips. Lord, forgive me. Receive me. And teach me how to offer you a sacrifice of our lips. Isn't that what the new covenant talks about in Hebrews 13, 15 as we close? Therefore, by him. Once the word of God is in control of your mind, the spirit of God is in control of your spirit, through therefore by him. Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips. Giving thanks to his name. It's good to sing that on a worship service, but this is not song. This is not theory. This is life. God says, this is what you will end up as. You should end up as. That's what we see in the midnight hour in that prison in Philippi. Two men for doing a deliverance service is dragged, stripped, whipped, thrown in the midnight hour. Backs are broken. Legs are stuck. And they said, through him, we will continually offer to you, Lord, the sacrifice of our lips, the fruit of our lips, sacrifice of praise, giving thanks to his name. When they worshipped God that way, good God, we still we accepted their sacrifice. He said, it's accepted. It's a sweet smelling aroma in my nostrils. Because of your glorifying me, I will release all the others. This is scripture. This is to what we are called. This is life.
And God tests us, allows like Job for us to be tested and tested and tested so that our praise can become purer and purer and purer. The more you are tested, the more you should be able to sing. That is the testing of our faith because your faith being more precious than gold is tested with fire. And how do you know your faith is real? You will know by your response. Watch your words. Watch your tongue. That's why in our old days, when you went to a doctor with fever, he will say, stick out your tongue. You want to know your spiritual spiritual health? Check your tongue. You will know. You don't have to go here and there. Just check your tongue. Check your words. You will know. Shall we pray? Shall we stand? Father, this morning we just come to you. We come to you because you are God. There is no one beside you. What you say is good, is good. What you say is evil, is evil. What you say is right, is right. What you say is just, is just. Whatever we see, whatever we hear, whatever we go through, one thing never changes. You are righteous. You are just. And all your ways are always right towards us. For the scepter of your kingdom is righteousness. <coughs> we have sinned. Our forefathers have sinned. We have walked in iniquity. Even our praise and worship was tainted with sin. We were double-minded and double-tongued. We praised you and we murmured. We praised you and we complained. We praised you and we judged you. We praised you and we judged our brothers. We are guilty. We are not keeping anything away from you, Lord. Today we are coming as individuals and as a church with the multitude of our words. We are coming back to you. All that we have uttered. And we are praying, O oh God, graciously receive us and forgive our iniquity. As you did with Isaiah, as you did with your servants. Cleanse our lips. Cleanse our tongue. Cleanse our mind. Afresh this morning, Lord. Help us to finish this year well. Start this new year. Seeking, searching the ways of God. Hungering, thirsting after righteousness of God. So that you can fill us, Lord, with your word and with your goodness. I bless your people in your name. May your hand rest upon each one of us. Let it strengthen us in the hour of weakness. Keep us steady when we are strong. Help us not to judge anything by what we see or hear. But to judge everything in righteousness. But above all, to give you constantly the sacrifice, the fruit of our lips. Giving you thanks always, O Lord. Help us to be a grateful, thankful people. Because even if you don't do one thing for us for the rest of our life, Salvation alone is enough to thank you forever because we know where we are going. Thank you, Father.
Thank you, thank you, Lord. I just bless your holy name. I just bless your holy name. I just bless your holy name. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.